good day and welcome to everybody listening in to this, our first ever LinkedIn audio event for linking the travel industry. My name is Rian and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Agentivity, where we help travel agents get the most out of their data. I'm joined today by Ash and Anne, we'll do a quick intro in a second. If you are from the press and you want to talk about what you hear here today, we do encourage you to do so. We just want you to acknowledge those that you might quote and get their permission to do so first. This podcast, and if you want, is about the most talked about travel industry news events on LinkedIn that we could find. Let's get this uh, started. Let's start. The really big story from last week was relating to ongoing disruptions at airports and Heathrow really stepping into it. Um, I posted about Heathrow putting a cap on the number of flights they want and only giving the airlines 36 hours notice. Of course, that didn't go down well with Emirates at all, who went public with this fight, and that was very significant of them to do so. The actual post I did about this has gone really crazy on here, so there's a lot of interest in this, but I I do find the whole scenario very strange. Um, Seemingly now they've come to some sort of agreement. They won't say what, but I think um, as... Was it was it Tony Anderson from Easy Group who said, nothing to see here, just move on, folks. It's, um, it's all resolved. That was a big story. What do you guys make of that? Well, I mean, you know, what can one say? It's just like, I'm, I'm just speechless. I think it's just shocking. And and when everyone keeps saying that, oh, they haven't really had time to ramp up. But, but I mean, I, I was, I've been flying since, you know, September of last year. Uh, and, and all the data must prove. Um, what will, what's going to happen. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, Emirates, in their public post on this, they even quoted that they, you know, have strong ties with the NATO, who operates, you know, almost everything they do at Heathrow, and they know they were fully staffed. So they were pointing it right back to, to Heathrow, who did not come out of this very well at all. Ash, what do the Americans make of this uh, fiasco at Heathrow and, and people like Delta having to fly on their own planes across to come and collect luggage? Yeah, so, I, you know, last week there was a story that Iceland Air was flying employees uh, to Amsterdam Airport just yep. to get the baggage situation sorted out, right? I mean, that's crazy stuff. That's and right. I, I kind of have mixed feelings about this, right? On one hand, to what Anne was saying is that, you know, travel has been ongoing. It's not like it was completely shut down. And yes, it would, you know, it was reduced quite a bit. But I've been on the road traveling and I see passengers everywhere. So, you know, this idea that there's so many kinks in the system, I think this is just purely the manpower issue. And then also, I think that, you know, we noticed that there's always a lot of strikes in the European sector, right? So, you know, all day long, we're getting these alerts, oh, strike here, strike there, these workers strike here. So the number of strikes, I'm wondering if that has an impact or the lack of people, you know, reporting to work, obviously, all those things have a trickle-down effect. So I wouldn't say it's only one thing. I think it's just a combination. The way we look at it is that, you know, we just take our bags on the plane. (laughs) (laughs) We just carry our bags. (laughs) <laughs> that's that's what I did recently, actually, when I flew into Gatwick. I had my luggage paid for, but I decided to just bring it on the plane. Yeah. I will admit, you know, I always check my bag in, by the way. It's kind of a funny thing, but I, I love checking my bag in because the way I look at checking bags is that why should I drag my suitcase all over the airport when someone will concierge it for me, right? So I 100% check in my bag. The only time I didn't was this last trip to London for the business travel show because I was so scared of losing my bag. I've never been scared like that before. So, you know, obviously it has an impact. Yeah, that, um, that story about um, Iceland Air flying their baggage handles was also in my list. I, I have to say there are lots of disruptions, Ash, but I must admit the way Heathrow handled this and especially the way in which they 
just issued a notice to airlines, even telling them which specific flights they need them to 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 cancel um, with 36 hours notice. I have to say that does not go down well at all. So um, they didn't come out of this. You know, the whole situation is is unplanned, right? So they have to start somewhere. You know, 36 hours, while it seems unreasonable, is kind of like, okay, well, at least we've got to start somewhere and we can't wait forever to... Like, if we issued a one-week notice to the airline, for one week, they'll be dealing with chaos at Heathrow, right? So you got to rip the Band-Aid off and just deal with it. And then from there, at least you can start to... So my question is, is that are things getting normalized? I've seen a few posts now. I've just saw one from uh, Jerry Leader from Apex. It says he's gone through uh, Heathrow security within, you know, 45 minutes out the other end in the clubhouse on the plane sort of thing. So I do see lots of those as well. So it sounds okay. So it's working. I don't know, because we don't know what is the result, the resolve that Emirates and Heathrow comes to, because we don't see many Emirates flights now cancelled. So they must have come up yeah. with some sort of arrangement there. So um, I think it's kind of crazy, right? I mean, I remember during the pandemic, the industry was so focused on return to travel, and there were so many sessions and seminars. I mean, we were just focusing on the traveler all the time. You know, hey, you know, things are sterile, the airplane airflow is this way and that way, and all this energy was spent, and great job, right, by the way, all the suppliers out there and all the TMCs that were working so hard um, around the clock just to be able to get travels back on the road. And I think maybe we missed the fact that we should have been talking to ourselves as well a little bit and thinking, how are we going to get all these travels back on the road again if they did come back? And maybe that's the missing piece of lesson learned. Something that I'm very curious about is that, I mean, airports have notoriously in the past been, you know, some of the most profitable players in this industry, um, hugely, you know, successful um, financially. Um, and, and, I mean, it's not as if they've seized operations completely. I, I'm just really curious what sort of, you know, I, I, I agree with you, Ash, that there must be many factors that combine to the chaos, but um, it would be very interesting to, to understand a bit better what, what precisely. I know the UK keeps blaming Brexit. But it can't be the only answer. It can't be, and it doesn't help that the CEO at Heathrow Airport was earning a, a fairly large <laughs> remuneration. <laughs> so, so there we go. Um, Jonathan, you've raised your hand. I'm going to bring you on stage. Please remember to you can do a quick introduction, and then when your comment uh, is, just make sure it's relevant to the um, to the topic we're discussing. So, welcome to the stage, Jonathan. Who is in charge of getting all that organized so that? we wouldn't end up like yeah i mean at heathrow it was a it was a it was a mix of things as um as ashland Ash was pointing out there's i think there's multiple players there that that participates in getting luggage moved through and people on planes etc and there's third parties involved i just think uh you know it overall it, it sounds like um it, it wasn't fantastic planning you know on heathrow's part of a ramp up and maybe a lack of access to staff what can we do as the individuals in this room, what can we do in our communities to uh, remedy this? Well, I think one of the things is talk about it like we do now, uh, Jonathan. And also, there's been there's been plenty of interactions on this uh, on the postings on LinkedIn about that story. And like I said, there has been a resolve with Heathrow and Emirates, so maybe that worked. Maybe that was fine. And as a last resort, as uh, Ashik said, maybe just take your bag with you on the plane and uh, wait till all this chaos subsides don't see these disruptions in many other places, right? I mean, I see it at Heathrow. I see it, like, like Ash was pointing out, there's a few things at Amsterdam Airport and a few others, but elsewhere it seems okay. So unless you're aware of other places where there's also the sort of chaos, it's kind of strange why it's here. It looked pretty bad, right? 60% of the flights are delayed. Wow. You know what's interesting? I was just thinking about this as, as uh, Jonathan was talking, right, about who's responsible. But 
I don't see that in the U.S. airports, and I'm just kind of wondering what's the reason for that. I mean, we have JFK, Atlanta, the busiest airport in the world. I don't know if they still are today, but apparently they were the busiest. There's no such you know noise like that coming. From but, but Ash, could it be that the that the sort of support and supply chain of those airports are less fragmented than they are in the European places, where there's you know plen- plenty of third parties involved, and the control, you know, the ability to control that must be more difficult. Obviously, these disruptions are ongoing. People are still complaining. I see people with plenty of questions about misconnections, etc. It's, it's a bit of a shame. I do saw I saw an interesting thing relating to compensation that was worth noting because if the airport is at fault for cancelling the flight, then the airline can view that as out of their control, and so they get out of that having to you know, compensate and reward travellers for the delayed or cancelled flights. That was a very interesting one, and I'm surprised to not see more you know coverage of that. But that is the reality of the situation. I see Chris has raised his hand. Yeah, sorry, Chris, I missed your uh, your raised hand there. It's nice to hear from you, Christopher. We haven't heard from you in a long time. I trust you are well, sir. I am indeed. Uh, nice to uh, to be with you guys. Um, I just wanted to comment on something that Ash uh, made mention of just there, which is, I think, pretty much as far as Europe is concerned, we haven't seen the kind of regular kind of disruption that the United States or North America in general is used to. When you go to North America, you've got, what, five time zones and eight or nine different climates. So you guys are much more used to disruption and get on with it. Whereas in Europe, anywhere you go two hours, you're in another country, it's quite different. And anywhere you go in the U.S., you're still in the same country. So people just put up with that kind of chaos a lot better than we do over here, rather unfortunately. Well, actually, go into this a little bit more detail now that Chris said it that way. That's a really good point because... When we travel around, I mean, unless we're traveling out of the country, we don't have to show our documents at the level that you probably have to when you fly between London and, let's say, Berlin or something, right? So to Chris's point, the, you know, the distance of flights is shorter, but I think the document process is, is heavier than if you fly the same distance in the U.S. market. So that probably has a lot to do with the delay factor. Um. Not no? really. Okay. I, I take it back then. Because, I mean, you, need, you, don't, you don't need the documents in that way within the EU. Britain, yes. But it, 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 has a, it has a ring to it, uh, and because yeah. one of the things that Emirates pointed out to, to, to Heathrow was that most people flying with Emirates are flying long haul with a connection onwards to a very long and far away destination on a probably a prepaid holiday and all that stuff. So the impact is enormous if they miss that flight. Whereas within the US, as Chris is trying to say, I think, you, there's another flight, you can easily get on it, you're not, so you're not so affected, right? So the impact is less, and that's a, that's a very good point. The next story I think is relevant to your area of expertise, Chris, and that is the good news that Virgin, as uh, Virgin Atlantic, has finally introduced the new premier product, the Retreat. Have you have you had a chance to look at that? Certainly, from a traveller well-being perspective, it looks awesome. So, what are your thoughts, uh, Anne and Ash? Well, I was going to say if I could not fly out of the UK, but <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, it certainly looks like an amazing product. I don't know whether you've managed to see it, Ash, at all. Have you seen it? I did. I was quite, I was quite amazed that they have this entire band set up on the plane, too. How did they do that? Do you mean that was just for the, that was just for the launch, right? I reckon it was just for the launch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just having fun. Yeah. You guys are so serious in Europe. Well, <laughs> you Americans are so gullible, Ash. You did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is good. I like this. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, look, I mean, it, it's, it's a great product. I think it looks wonderful. It's solid. 
I'm not really sure if it looks anything more than what I may have seen on other aircraft type, you know, so it's not like I'm not looking at this and going, wow, I'm looking at this and saying, oh, it's nice. I think it's, a, it's um, I mean, there's a bit of a nod to the Qatar Q suite in there with the, with the drop down and the ability for another passenger to come into your seat and eat there with you. I think it's, it's, it's quite a spacious environment. I think the photos are, are hard to gather, but if you look at the dimensions, that's a, it's a very spacious environment and I think it will be you know, top class and certainly, certainly beating the pants off, you know, the, the so-called flag carrier of BA's, um, you know, e- equivalent product. So yeah, I think they they will do quite well with it. BA's product, I don't think should be the benchmark for it. No, no, <laughs> I think we can all agree on that. As, as an ex-BA person, I have to concur. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. So Shibu, thank you for joining us. Uh, nice to hear from you, sir. Did you have any comment on what we just talked about? Hi all, everybody. Very interesting uh, to interact with you all and good to uh, learn from you all. I just wanted to just uh, add a bit uh, as what uh, Priya had said. Uh, it's a Q-class, Q-suite for Qatar Airways. Virgin's new product looks almost similar to that because I had an opportunity to experience Q-suite in, uh, at the ATM. No, absolutely. I mean, and my, my view on that Q-suite, I thought it was you know, probably the best product in the, in the, in the sky. Uh, easily and so yeah virgin would not um i'm sure they wouldn't miss out on copying a few things there and getting that into their product but so much so much better for the travelers right and also uh just to add i know uh, this summer holidays has very un- unplanned uh, from the airline point of view and from the airport authorities and uh, you know people have planned much in advance looking forward for a very good holidays but unfortunately things were not uh, organized or planned in advance and uh, this is where you know so, so all the stakeholders should take equal responsibility uh, you know for this i agree shibu i think you know it's um, it's been uh, yeah it's been disrupted but to get these guys to all admit who's at fault i think that's going to be the tricky one but let's hope it gets resolved how are you finding things at, at the dubai hub i mean are, are things running smoothly uh, there are you hearing about delays or how's it going through yeah, dubai yeah yeah uh, i'll tell you just the latest statistics is that the Middle East and the Asian side, the Indian subcontinent, those airports are functioning. I mean, it is up to 75% capacity. As of now, there is no major disruptions other than technical issues. And there were some issues with the domestic airlines. Indigo had mass staff reported sick because they wanted pay rise pre-pandemic, you know. So they made an issue last week. There were about large number of flights which were affected domestically. But internationally, there was no issues from India. But Middle East, uh, as of now, uh, Dubai is able to cope up uh, because there was only a a temporary runway closure and then they have, uh, now it is back to normal. Uh, Other than that, uh, it is only the recurring flights which are coming from Europe, uh, you know, which is having, uh, you know, this uh, hub operation. Uh, All these inbound flights, uh, you know, brings in transit passengers because uh, Dubai caters 80% of their uh, load as transit load, you know. So uh, this is where it gets affected. So uh, what happens, it's a chain effect because the other aircraft has to wait for these uh, transfer passengers or the load and then, you know, it gets that that kind of effects are there. Absolutely. Shibu, thank you very much. and um, Thank you very much. Thank thank, Thank you for joining in. And this is your square in your space. This is Lufthansa announcing that splits in how they charge per GDS. And um, 
I have to say, I've had a few follow-up posts about that and some further details about that. And one of them was very interesting to me, which I'll get to. But um, what are your first thoughts about what Lufthansa did there with offering uh, different fees per GDS? I think it's a step towards more transparency, and, and that's great. I mean, it obviously uh, probably means they have extra work for them because you know, they have to code and, and implement that downstream in, in the different systems. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm all for it to, if they want to display what the difference in cost is, that's, it's very relevant, of course. Yeah, some of some of the further posts I saw about this was relating to you know there were some people saying um, why you know would it be would it be better for days in the home market? But it relates to obviously the home market advantage and those kind of things. And somebody else told me a very interesting way to look at this would be to think about the the other GDS is more, is more likely to have more segments in those bookings than maybe a Lufthansa like a, a domestic you know Amadeus booking might have. And so. You know, ultimately, the earnings the agent might earn from that, you know, might be, you know, off putting that increased cost anyway. So it's 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 not necessarily cheap, uh, you know, more expensive on one than the other. They must have worked this out with some sort of sense, right? You'd hope. No, but, no, but definitely, yes. Of course, it of course it impacts. Yes. Uh, of course, it is per ticket, right? So that's right. Um, then, on the other hand, as I think that I've I've mentioned on some posts that have been floating around, I. I think the whole pricing model, both for airline IT and for for GDS, the distribution cost, is quite archaic. Well, first of all, it hasn't changed in the last 15 to 20 years. Find it a bit outdated. Oh, absolutely. You think it's time for a change? I mean, (laughs) (laughs) could there be something the airlines could be doing about that? Who knows? I don't know. Who knows? We'll see. Yeah. Ash, from the uh, American side and the view on this, what do you what do you make of you know stuff like this? Uh, you know, Amadeus going down the detail of saying on this GDS we'll charge this much per ticket versus that one. So, I mean, DCC is not really a big uh, topic in North America yet. I think the pandemic slowed it down from becoming a big topic here for sure. I just look at this and I just wonder: is this the only way to make things? work, right? And to Anne's point, it's like, you know, you're adding more complication to your processes. What about the TMCs that have multiple GDSs, right? How are they going to deal with this? So it just seems like by the time it all settles down, the top guys who produce the most will have the greatest negotiation ability. The little guys who produce not as much will have no negotiation. They'll end up paying the majority of it, creating the most disturbance in their organizations, probably costing the airline more effort than it's necessary. And I don't know if it's going to create any net net result that's beneficial to Lufthansa. Time will tell, but it's a, it's a very good point. Yeah, if there's anybody in the audience who's got an opinion on this, please uh, raise your hand and let us you know hear from you. I do second what you've said, though, Anne. At least there's there's more transparency here, so that's good. That's yeah. that's always good that's and good. always welcome. So that's what. Where did they get this number eighteen fifty, Ryan? Like eighteen fifty? <laughs> Why? Why eighteen fifty? There's what some, is the significance of that fifty cents? There's some German engineer in a laboratory that's worked on that for years. This reminds me of when commissions went away a couple of decades ago, and all the TMCs had to figure out what they're going to charge for service fees. And I happened to work at one. I'm not going to say which one, but I happened to work at one. And I was, you know, in my early stage of my career, so I didn't have very, very little say in anything. You know, I was in a meeting where management got up and said, "We're going to charge thirty-two dollars and fifty cents for the service fee." So we said, "Why fifty cents?" Well, it looks like we did some math. <laughs> 
I'm not confirming or denying that. It's a, yes, it <laughs> sounds plausible. But now, hang on. You've just said a word there when commissions were cut. So why do I read in the news then about the Australian uh, travel agent market up in arms about Co- um, commission quant- was quant- not cut everywhere. Qantas cutting yeah. their commission down yeah, yeah. from eight percent to something else. So they are up in arms about that. But well, it takes a while for things to go down under. You know, it's kind of like <laughs> yes. trickle trickles down for you know the d- 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 delayed impact there. Ooh, I have no comment on that. On the one. Yes. There are actually commissions a bit here and there and everywhere. And yes. there's still commissions today. There's still agencies that make commission to this day, but again, they have negotiation or they have hold on the uh, airline in a way that allows them to still earn that. And and again, you know, you talk about fairness earlier and, you know, even playing field. It's not, there's nothing fair about any of this. It's always the big guys getting the most and the little guys getting squeezed. Fair enough, Fash. But I mean, you know, if it makes, if it increases the footprint for the airline to, to distribute via that channel, then yeah, pay them some commission. I mean, that's, uh, that, that works. Well, I but. think, I think it's always, I think that's pretty fair to say that that's actually one of the things I dislike about the GDS very much because that relationship between the airline and its favored partners or travel agencies, for lack of a better, you know, expressing this in a better way, but, that relationship to really be, you know, a, a good one and, and for the agents to be com- compensated fairly uh, for, for their efforts. And I, I find it, you know, very, very interesting when you start look at who are my profitable agents and who are my unprofitable agents, who are actually the agents creating enough of a mess for me for it to be very expensive. That's very yep. interesting. So, yeah. I just have one comment about this article before we close out, I think, Rian, is that they never mentioned and when they talked about BCC and, <laughs> and, and $16. They just kind of glossed over that. Yes. So I'm kind of like pumped out about this. Yeah. She must have done something there to, to annoy them, right? <laughs> <laughs> we'll never know. We'll never know. You never know. Yeah, there were a few other things that popped up over the weekend and since uh, publishing that list, one of them was our favorite topic and this thing about um, thin air and them wanting no effects at all in the system by 2025 to now saying, no, no, they mean they want to distribute most of their content via NDC. So they've, they've changed their tune on that a little bit. But we did get visibility on the TP Connect solution there for AI and so I don't know if we want to quickly talk about that, but this is an agent portal that um, Finair has released, and it's powered by TP Connect, right? And what are your thoughts on it, then? My immediate thoughts is that this is nothing new. I mean, agent portals have been around since, I mean, actually implemented one in, well, RFP and implemented in 2006. So th- th- there's nothing new about that. And, and you have various providers that, that help you with, with that functionality. So... So I, I really don't know how it's so NDC relevant. I guess that it's based on, on NDC messaging then, I assume. But the concept as such, of course, is not new. That's right. And the, the ticketing still goes through BSP. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's it's it's. I have the same response. So what's new then? To be fair, TP Connect is now, you know, they've been bought by Flight Center. And it's Flight Center has been... Very brutally honest about the fact that a this is probably mostly suitable for agents who mostly book Fener. They recognise the disruption to leave one screen and go to this portal just for that and come back. There's no back office handoff, so again they recognise that limitation. So it was refreshing to hear them say those things. And 
Yeah. I mean, it would have made far more, much more sense to me if Finner actually had done the ticketing themselves and avoided, you know, the, the BSP cost. It would, they would absolutely do it. It yeah. baffles me that they've decided to yeah. do that in a, in a newly developed solution. And also yeah. that there's still book and hold. Why not just say, well, if you want to book here, it's, it's book and pay. Off you go. Yeah. Nothing, I, I nothing radically it, new there, basically, is the, is the point. No, no, there's nothing new. No. Ash, what are you thinking? I have a question. The only thing I want to know is, is it fast? Well, there's a, there's a video about <laughs> it, and, and the UI is not bad, but it's nothing groundbreaking. It's not, wow, it's not very different. It's a standard UI. You fill in the boxes, you get the results. It's a nice um, calendar display of the fares. It's, it's user-friendly. It's not too bad. It won't be any faster. It, it will definitely not be faster than agent using GGS. That's okay. Oh, Finner agency sales tool is that what it's called? Yeah, it's called Fast. Yes, I see. So we're, 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 oh. a bit, so oh. we're a bit slow here, Ash. I must yeah, we are a bit slow. We're not as <laughs> we're not as fast as you are, Ash. <laughs> whatever whatever coffee you're drinking, I need to get some of that, Ash, because yes. that's that stuff has put you on fire. I have to say, wow. Same here. Same wow. I want to get to any other business that wasn't, you know, already I've started with that one. I have one. I don't well, know you whether... missed the North Atlantic one. You didn't talk about that one. There we go. Ash. Thank you very much for pointing that out. So that was probably the biggest story of the week, wasn't it? So North Atlantic Airways has gone into GDS distribution and they're doing so with world tickets, right? And so there's been a lot of upset about this. And I, for the life of me, can't understand why people are so upset about this. So my view on it is, you know, they're testing the waters of world ticket. Yes, they're paying a, a, a price for it. So obviously they pay, I think the price quoted was something like $10 per segment, which is, you know, substantial. Oh, wow. Wow. I mean, I, I can't say that's, you know, fact, but that's what I've heard. So if they don't like it, they pull out yeah. of it. If they, you yeah. know, it's certainly a lot easier to do than getting into GDS agreements, even though yes. some others have told me, no, no, it's easy to, to do that. I, I don't think so. It's certainly... And especially not the BSP markets, Rian. I mean, that's, that's what right. it's all about. So, I mean, implementing all these these BSP markets is really time consuming. I mean, I've done that a few times. That's that's not easy peasy. So, I mean, you know, I think the that is the way I would have done it had I worked with with Norse. I would have, you know, gone for either Han or World Ticket or you know, a solution that allows me to to work with GDS distribution. I don't know if it is, is it so upsetting because they had uh, communicated beforehand that they just wanted to do distribution, NDC distribution direct, and then change their minds. Is that what people are upset about? Quite possibly. I mean... Uh, I do find it strange, though, that they before started flying that it took them so long yes. to, to realize that, you know, you need GDS distribution that I find a bit surprising. Yeah. I'm celebrating this because, again, this gives the agent more choice. If the agent wants to now access yeah. it via the GDS, they can. They know the pricing up front. If they want to rather go to the portal, they can. It's more choice, and that's that's always a good it's thing. It's more choice, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and, and I assume that what NORS are doing is that they're offsetting the cost of what they're paying World Ticket and just adding that as a surcharge, which the agents will have to pay through the GDS, right? I believe World's Ticket has incorporated that fee into the fair price. So, you know, if, ah, the, if the fare is 100 it. from North, they sell it for 120 if it's two segments, and that's it. Okay, so, okay, okay. 
So that's why Adrian Keating from uh, Norris, his comments were a bit controversial because he was saying, oh, this is a free free way to get into the GDS distribution. And that I think that irked quite a few people because, of course, it's not a free way, but at least at least they're open about, hey, this is the fee and the fare is X if you book it in yeah. the GDS. And, and again, not, not at all new in any way. I do, you know, I worked at Norwegian back in... Uh, 2009 and of course you know the same thing there was a gds surcharge and which resulted in a, in a high affair same saying you want to go through this channel fine absolutely Asha, what do you i think there's too much there's too much norsing around going on here that's what <laughs> i think exactly the same thing is how we started to to end's point the cost of distribution was built in into the cost of the product then it got pulled out now it's going back in it's like we're just circling around in the same area. That's why I'm saying it's northing around. Sure, I, I do. I do think that Norse is using this to test the waters, and if it worked well for them, they will probably end up as a full GDS participant. That's kind of my view. Or if you know this really works for them, they'll just stick to this model because what's what's the harm here? Not much, right? It's it's yeah. no, there's there's no harm at all, and yeah. and I would say very very little in investment. Yeah. Um, if I were Norse, I, I would focus on maybe feeder traffic is much, far more important and, and uh, something that I would have to look at yeah. with much bigger effort than, than distribution this, in this way. Okay, brilliant. So that was the list. Did any of you have any other news since Friday that you want to talk about? I have a topic I want to talk about. Please I do. think that, four uh, that this is a great story. So I know we, you know, in the industry, we tend to always have uh, – not so wonderful stories, and these days we can use a good, feel-good story. So Alaska Airlines gave out 90,000 miles to all their employees this past week in celebration of their 90th anniversary. If you're an employee of Alaska Airlines, you receive 90,000 miles, and you are now able to use those miles and uh, travel um, anywhere in the world. You can even use those miles to stay at hotels, wherever the miles allow you to be used, they, they can use them. And I think that's a wonderful story. I love it. It is. I loved it too. Yeah, I have to agree, Ash. That's a fantastic story and a, and a great one to wrap up on because I, I, I also commented on that to say it's obviously also a, a tax benefit for the employees because it's not a cash reward and all that sort of stuff. So I think it's wonderful. It is absolutely wonderful. So uh, yeah. Well, the net, the net cost to the airline is only like $700 per person. By yeah, the way, but the value. So is, if you got yeah. seven, yeah. So if you got seven hundred dollars as a bonus, you'd be like, eh, who cares? Yeah. But if you got ninety thousand miles, it's all of a sudden you're like, wow, this is great, right? Yeah. So I think it's it's and and plus, you know, they you know they talk about how the employee now gets closer to their mileage program, learns about their exactly. destinations, their partners, all yeah. sorts of benefits are going to come out of this. I was just um, going to say that they never yeah. expire. They never expire, and which is great. Yeah. Yeah. Anything that could go wrong there, Ash, is that they might come back from Europe and go, hey, we should strike more. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I, w I was really going to, to add that to the story, Ash, that there's so much in it for the airline because, like you said, they will get closer to the loyalty program, which I believe and, and tr I truly believe every employee of an airline should be. They, they should understand how this works and, and, and what it's like, you know, to fly as a, as you say, sort of normal passenger at, at some point and understand the program. And I think it's extremely valuable to the airline. Absolutely. This is almost the same as uh, Ash, when we say every hotel should make its employees stay in the hotel at least for one night to experience the product, right? So there's only good things that can come yeah. out of it. Yes, it's a win-win. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. 
And that's a that's a really good one to wrap up on. So, Ash, thank you for bringing us the the positive, you know, feel good story there. That's really really good. This has been linking the travel industry here on LinkedIn Audio, and this will go. Ash, just confirm it is businesstravel360.com, right? That's where it's going to go. Yes, yes, it'll be on businesstravel360.com, and uh, we will be releasing information on how to find it on anywhere you can listen to your podcast. So whether you listen to it on Apple, Google, Spotify, we're available in all those different channels. Uh, so look for that, and uh, you'll see it there, and we'll keep talking about it as we announce the next session for linking the travel industry.